that's what recovery is standing up for ourselves not and we're not doing it against anybody else as a matter of fact alan one of the things, main things i repeatedly learned from you is i don't need the other person to change at all i don't need them to understand i don't need them to agree with me i don't need them to like me even that's what we're doing in recovery we represent ourselves very well bill wilson co-founder of alcoholics anonymous wrote in 1952 If we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, uh, and with me is uh, our wonderful producer, Patrick Newman, and Dr. Alan Berger. How are you guys doing? Well, what's what's going on, buddy? Well, I've been struggling with my asthma the last couple of days, and boy, it's been testing my emotional sobriety. Um, you might even be able to hear it now. I've been uh, labored in my breathing quite a bit. Mm. I thought I had turned a corner. I don't know what happened. I, I started some uh, treatment with a nebulizer, <clears throat> excuse me, two days ago. I think I'm getting some relief, and I went back on antibiotics. But ever since I stopped the prednisone, I've been going downhill. But being on the press zone was really challenging, too. So I've got to get in front of a doctor this week and see what else I need to do to get uh, back to some degree of normality in terms of my breathing, because it's been really been really struggling. Is, it, is this an after after effect of, of, of your COVID or, or did you have this before? I've had asthma as it was an adult onset that happened about mm-hmm. in, in 2005 is when I contra- contracted it. And so it's been recent, right? It's been the last um, yeah. you know, 17 years, but um, it's been pretty good up until I've had COVID a year ago. And then recently it activated. I was doing great. I was off all medication and stuff. This last one is really, I even had a worse reaction to this last one, to the first COVID, and even though I've been vaccinated and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. um I'm hoping that um, I can get some help this week. And I think the antibiotics might help too. So we're going to see the next few days will be pretty important. But so you're going to hear kind of me taking some big breaths in between Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to try to support my, my, you know, speech right now or my, my talking. So um, please bear with me as I struggle through this podcast. Well, it's pretty normal, though, because I mean, I often say things that take your breath away. So I think people are well, probably used to. We were to- talking about your immense wisdom before we came on. <laughs> we were. And I notice mean, how I brought it back up. Immense wisdom. And Patrick was genuflecting to you. And my <laughs> God, it was an amazing moment. It brought tears to your eyes. Yeah, but he kept, and Patrick, Patrick, you just kept throwing Alan in there with me, though. So you, you're trying, you're trying so hard to balance things out. You're going, yeah, like, and Alan, I'm going like, yeah, Alan's dying and needs. <laughs> That's I'm just uh, I'm, I'm so routinely is labored. <laughs> I'm routinely blinded by the light of God on this podcast. Oh, I appreciate I appreciate your support, Patrick. 
Happy to happy to pitch in. Where uh, we are a sick <laughs> group of individuals. How can right. anybody listen to these podcasts? Does well, it make any sense to anybody what we say? It does. <laughs> I tell you what. What make that's but that's let's go ahead and make that point because one of the points. Maybe we could make this more often. I think you and I, Alan, could could easily say that we have the experience repeatedly through our you know decades of, of experience with this stuff is one of the more constant pieces of feedback we get from people who who b- benefit from our work. Um, we'll talk about some another time. We'll talk about the pe- feedback we get from people who don't and who, who don't like what we're doing so much. But we don't separate ourselves from the people we're working with. Now, we you know, we do in the sense of we wouldn't do, you know, as, as much fun as we, we have playing around with this stuff. We wouldn't do this. We wouldn't do a podcast if we didn't think we had something to share. If we didn't think we had something, if we didn't think we were ahead of the, on the path to, to, for a lot of people. And that's what I that's the Way I learned it in, in the program and in therapy is what you want is people who are uh, ahead of the on, on the path and who have ex- had experience, strength, and hope that is beyond with you. We, if we didn't have that, we wouldn't write books. We wouldn't we wouldn't be having these conversations and trying to, to and do and, and lead the support group and all that other stuff. But none of that takes away from the understanding that essentially we're not any different from anybody we're working with. And I think it's that that piece that, you know, this we could we could we could if we have if we ever have a podcast where we bitch and moan about about things that bother us about therapy in general, I would say that's one of them is the, the people who basically separate themselves so far from others that, um, you know, it's sort of uh, the way I put it sometimes is it's sort of like if you say if, if, if I've heard people kind of have an approach that's sort of like long ago when I was screwed up like you, you know, it's like, you know, for, for us, the good news is we don't have to have that much of a good memory because if I want to give an example of how I screwed something up, yeah, I probably got something from this morning, you know, it's like, it's like, and it's real and it's, and, and, and we're right in the middle of it and we're sharing that. And I think that's, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that we do that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we do that. And I love, I love the, and it wouldn't be nearly as much fun if we didn't get to share as honestly as we do with each other. That's right. No, I, uh, that's one of the things that attracted me to the form of therapy that I do is that what I experienced in, in that approach is being a client. And now mm-hmm. from the other side is being a professional is that it's about leveling the relationship is that the healing comes through authenticity, not some mm-hmm. technique but right. through the, you know, my person, your person, and, and it's, it's in having a genuine encounter with someone where we share our struggles, we challenge somebody, if we're hearing something we're concerned about, it, it's, it's that leveling of the relationship yeah. was so important. And I, because I've been to the other therapies where I felt like an object. Oh, me and too. Yeah. I didn't like it. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't help me. In fact, if I think if I stayed in it, I would have gotten worse, to tell you mm-hmm. the truth. You know, and there is there are cases of that. Mm-hmm. There's cases if you're if you're attending a therapy that doesn't fit you and you're feeling that more that you're struggling more and more, it's time to try something different. Mm-hmm. I yeah. say that to my clients all the time. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting mm-hmm. something out of my your work with me, then please find someone that you're gonna get something from each session. I believe that each and every session you go to. You should walk away with more than you started. 
Right. Well, and what, along those lines, one of the things, and this is this is good, I think, to to have it uh, recorded here and put out there. So, so because because you know we, uh, you and I both had conversations with people through the years about just how to shop for therapy. It's like it's, it's like I mean, the idea is you know it's it's a little it's it's quite a lot i started to say a little bit like it's quite a lot like we do with if we're sending somebody asking somebody to go see go go to a 12-step program is we say please don't please don't judge it on the first session you know now yeah. you know it's, it's like now now this is the truth for 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 a, a support group or for therapy if something blatantly bad is going on or happens or feel you know then obviously that's an exception to that but but it's like the idea give it a chance but trust your judgment you know, right. if it's, it's because because and don't run, and don't and don't mistake just being scared of what it may come up in the therapy session for this is not good for me because the, because if a good if it's a good therapy session, you're going to you're going to be feeling some stuff that makes you pretty uncomfortable. It's about safety. It's about and right. it's not, and at first. It's not like, do I feel instantly safe with this person is do I feel like this is a person I could become safe with? Well, this is can I have an encounter with them? Where, yes. where I'm invited to bring all of myself to the therapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just remember that, you know, I've been now working with therapists about the last two years, I would say. Um, and it's been incredibly helpful. I've shared some of the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the, the insights from compassion I got um, from yeah. the starting with the Thursday night group that I bring into my therapy and then work on some of the stuff, which mm-hmm. has been a, a real nice combination of things. And and it's been quite valuable to me. And I remember there was something that I was struggling with talking to her about. And I talked to her about the shame I felt over. And it was so helpful to talk about that mm-hmm. and to break through that that barrier that I imposed on it. But, you know, it's we could talk about this all day. Well, look, we're at the end of my book. I'm so excited that we're now in this last chapter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this was it. I want to share with everyone how this came about. So Vince and I, he's my editor, we were kind of struggling with like, well, how do we put a wrap to this? We covered so much material. What can we capture that would kind of communicate and all the ideas that we were talking about kind of be a, an encapsulation of mm-hmm. uh, encapsulate all of the all of the different themes that we're talking about. And Vince kept playing around with this idea of, well, how about like a ship at sea or something like that? And then it hit me about canoeing. Yeah. Because Jess and I went canoeing in Tennessee at, on one of the mm-hmm. rivers. Mm-hmm. And if you've never been canoeing before, it's it's a challenge because you've got to keep your, your it's all about center of gravity. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're alone, you're just dealing with your center of gravity in that canoe. And then when you're with another person, you're dealing with two center of gravities in the, mm-hmm. in the canoe. Mm-hmm. And being alone in a canoe is a challenge enough. Now add another person. And now mm-hmm. it comes down to coordinating your efforts and stuff. Well, I'll tell you, man, it was it was an incredible afternoon. I think we probably tipped the canoe over about three times mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to figure this thing out, not to keep our balance. And then it hit me when I when I and I went to Vince and I said, you know, Vince, I think if we talk about canoeing as a metaphor to emotional sobriety and keeping it, I think it works pretty darn good because there were points where Jess and I were floating along, 
that river and there was no big current and the water was still and the birds were chirping. All was right with the world. Water right. moccasins yeah. were swimming yeah. next to our boat, you know. Blowing I kisses. Mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden we turn around the bend and there's mm-hmm. a little bit of white water. And mm-hmm. now the 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 current picks up. Mm-hmm. We start going a little bit faster. And now we're starting to get tossed around a little bit. And now, and to me, that's such a metaphor for life. We are we all do well where things are going our way. When Absolutely. things are happening the way that we want them to, the way we hope they would, and the real test for your emotional sobriety is what do you do when you hit that white water? Mm-hmm. What do you do when you start getting knocked off balance? What do you do when things just don't go your way? And now you're being challenged with learning how to adapt to whatever this river is presenting you with. And that can be, there can be some rocks coming up and some rapids and movement and all mm-hmm. kinds of challenges. And and look, that's at the heart of what we've been talking about. That's that's emotional sobriety. It's like that's, that's absolutely it. And it's I love I love as an English major, of course, I love the fact that rather than at the end of this book, I didn't anticipate this is how you were going to end it anyway, because I don't think you do that. But it's like in conclusion, you know, that will, you know, this kind of stuff. But it was it was when I as I as I uh, I looked at it as a short chapter, I was you know, I remember I first read it and I thought, I thought and I've read it several times since I've read it, you know, out of I've just gone back and read that chapter before uh, and shared little pieces of it with clients. It's like, because I, because I love the metaphor so much and it's such a thorough metaphor. I mean, it's, it's like, please, if you're listening, if, if you get the book, it, it's, or if you, if you're reading the book or reading it for the second time, it's like, just because it's metaphor, it doesn't mean it's just, Oh, it's just a nice little metaphor. It's, it's a very complex metaphor. It's, it's it, the thing I like about what you've done with the chapter is, I mean, everything from what you said about, you know, I mean, you know, my thing is always say anybody can have a good day on a good day, which is, you know, anybody can have a good day on smooth waters. But, you know, and it's it's like, uh, you know, what happens in the rapids that, that, that you know, will it's not so much make us who we are, but reveal who we are, give us opportunities to grow and change. But you also talk about preparation in terms of what what uh, the canoe itself. You know, it's, it's I'm, I'm not I don't have it right in front of me right now, but I'm, so you say something, some things about what makes a good canoe. That's right. That's right. That's right. So you, it is true. And I forgot about that part of it. But yeah, that was an interesting thing is that I started to tie in all of these different different aspects of being, you know, of learning how to be in a canoe, thinking about what kind of canoe you buy. And look, when you're a beginner. You want a canoe with a real wide base to it, Mm -hmm. right? Because that gives you so much more stability in the water. Mm -hmm. As you get better, you can narrow that down. And then you got a a canoe doesn't have that kind of stability. Now that stability comes from From you you as as a canoeer. But now what you get with that new canoe is so much maneuverability. Now you See, really get to yeah. respond to changing times in such mm-hmm. a different way than you would if you're in that old canoe that's just stable. And mm-hmm. see, and I think that the metaphor for me with that is, as we're talking about it now, is early on in our recoveries, 
it's important to lay that broad foundation for us, right? We really do. We want a good, strong foundation with a lot of recovery capital. You and I know that through the years, that starts to narrow. Now, our recovery, our support isn't as broad-based as it was before. I don't go to as many meetings Mm -hmm. as I did early on. You know, early on, I'd go to a meeting every day, sometimes two a day. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point in time, it's a couple meetings a week in my life. And sometimes well, our recovery also you know, gets integrated into our lives. I mean, the thing, well, the, thing that didn't, the, yeah. the thing that didn't exist when I first got sober was was I mean, nowadays it's like I can name any friend that I have. And that's part of my yeah. support system. I can have most, most every one of my colleagues as part of my support system right. in some way yeah. or another, you know, maybe some closer than others. But it's like my life is populated with support. It's like there isn't there isn't my life. And then there's my support system, which is the way it starts. And it's like, so, you know, you know, I mean, if we kept going, you know, we're going to, be, we're, we're going to be talking about how we become the canoe, but it's like, uh, it's, <laughs> I am a canoe. No, I am the canoe, but yeah, I think man. integration it's is what happens with I that. I don't, because right I don't that. think it's less, it's not less support. It's and plus the idea that the, the other piece is I always say, like when I'm talking about, we talk about going to fewer meetings, things like that is like, we burn one of the things you learn in recovery, you don't burn any bridges. It's like, I mean, all that stuff is connected. It's like in, in my mind's mindset is, you know, it's like, like it, it, you know, at 36 years uh, postponing my, my next drink here, it's like, you know, I, you know, first of all, I know, you know, I understand that what I go to meetings for at all or, or have any do all the support stuff is not just about not drinking, but about being a better person. But the other thing is, I don't want to live in paranoid fear of relapse, but I, I never want to be without appropriate caution because, because the truth is we've all, we've all known people who've been sober as long as we have and got and, and gone back out, yeah. you know? So, so long before that you ever pick up the drink, we want to be able I always tell people, I want people to be able to recognize yellow flags. So you don't have to see so many red ones is so that my point here is that you and I both have the tell correct me if I'm wrong, but you and I both have the capacity and the ability and the know-how to reconnect to a broader base support system. If we need it in a heartbeat. Yeah. We can, we, that other canoe still exists for us. We can go get that canoe. Yeah. And that's and it's important to know when we need to. Yeah. Well, you know, I just flashed on it. I mean, look, that's what we do when we work with a sponsor. That's what we do when we go to therapy is we're learning how to paddle our canoe in life. Right. That's a. Yeah. I think it's a it's a great, you know, metaphor to that. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, all of that input becomes a value. You know, I love what you've said before. We're not changing ourselves as much as we're adding to ourselves, which does change us. But we're not changing our who we are. We're just changing, you know, how we function in our lives. Well, well, but mainly we're not getting rid of anything. We're adding. We're like you said, we're adding. We're growing. If you think about what growing is, growing is expansion. Growing, growing, you know, you don't, you know, you, you don't watch something grow and get, you know, that'd be a Benjamin Button thing. It's not that it's like we grow, we, we grow in this one, in a way, this expansion. And then a lot of things that we think that we ultimately get rid of are really just things that drop. We, we just don't pay attention to anymore because we don't need them. And look at that's what Dr. Martin Sullivan is saying about positive psychology. He mm-hmm. says in positive psychology, You don't focus on, quote, the deficits, the problems. What you focus on is how to help somebody get happier. 
as they become happier, guess what? Mm-hmm. They let go of some of that other stuff. Just like you said, it's like mm-hmm. it's no longer necessary because you're now doing the things, creating the life that you wanted to create. Those other adaptations that were compensating for what we couldn't be are no longer necessary because we're becoming who we who we can be. Which I really well, the program love. says it. We stay, stay in the solution. That's it's right. Like, I stay love, in the I solution. Love. I love Seligman's approach to psychology Mm. now, this positive Mm -hmm. psychology. And it's really focusing on what we can do to create a better life in developing the the attitudes, the behaviors that contribute to that. And look, I saw a big parallel when I went to his workshop, because like I said, I just finished my 36 hours of Mm -hmm. continuing education. When I went to his workshop at this conference, I saw so many parallels between what he was talking about in emotional sobriety. Mm-hmm. So many parallels. You know, he was just using a different, um, some different language. He was describing it in different concepts. He talked a lot about personal agency. But I'll tell you, almost every time he talked about personal agency, I could substitute the words emotional sobriety. Yeah. And it and it was the stuff we talk about every Thursday night, the stuff we've been mm-hmm. talking about in our podcasts and in our videos before that. I mean, mm-hmm. it really is, is how to show up in a different way in our life. Yep. Responsibility. It's one of my favorite little nutshells. And I, I think I'm misquoting myself here in this, but, it's, but it goes along those lines. It says, I'm trying to remember it. It says, do, uh, do you ask, it asks the question, do you, do you work to avoid problems or to seek solutions you know you because Good because nutshell. those are two different things and it's like and, and i as many of those little nutshells you know have their origin in me recognizing you know where i'm messing things up i i was a you know and, and not not an, you don't have to be an addict to have this but as an addict i was an absolute expert of avoiding problems you know i could i, I was so good at dancing around things and uh and, and and of course those problems what happens to the problems well they just they wait for you that's right. They're very patient problems. They'll just stay there until. He- <laughs> is it wrong? So got- <laughs> is, is it wrong to look at consciousness as a fight? Is that reductive to look at? It's like- part, no, it's part of it. I think. I, I think. I. I don't think. For me, that's not ultimately when you when you make the, the when you go through the process. At least my experience of the process is it's it's so much not a fight when you get to the place where you want to be. But initially. I think I, I think it almost has to be initially for most people I work with, because because the, the idea is, first of all, the, I mean, there's so many things to that. But that, and, and as a matter of fact, make a note of that, Patrick, that would be great for us to talk about that in greater and greater uh, depth. But it's like sometimes I think we, we've been fighting ourselves so much and hating ourselves so much. It helps to, to, to use our metaphor system, our differentiation to give ourselves someplace else to, to, to put some of that energy we need to get mad at something other than ourselves for a change you know we need I, we, around my office we call it putting the fuck you in the right place you know rather than every time i say fuck you it comes back boomeranging back at me i need if uh, at first i need to say that with my addictions and i need to say it with my should monster and this kind of stuff but ultimately alan you tell me if this fits for you too but ultimately that that I don't think you you throw a switch. I think it evolves into a place that's that's a that's a much calmer, much more. Uh, well, just I guess we learn we learn how to navigate the waters. Yeah. So that that's it's right. not so rough. Well, I I think that's that's the thing that if you 
if you think about it, is when we get in a canoe <laughs> before we really get any help, we've got all of these different clowns in the canoe, some of which want to <laughs> paddle, some of which want to jump out of the canoe, some of which want to <laughs> shake the canoe. I mean, and, and so, you know, and here you are trying to steer the canoe and get them Ooh. to kind of paddle together. And you got one yo-yo hitting the other yo-yo over the head with the thing and the other one splashing somebody. You know, it's no wonder our lives are fraught with so much conflict and, and so much suffering because, you know, William James called it the torn to pieces hood. That's how wow. he described it back in the early 1900s. We're torn to pieces. Fritz called it that we all have a civil war. We're always mm -hmm. fighting ourselves. You know, Tom and I have talked about that a lot. Mm -hmm. So this interpersonal or intrapersonal conflict mm -hmm. is, is really at the heart of, of what's wrong with us in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, we don't know how to put these different parts together. We're very black or white. We think we got to get rid of these parts that are causing trouble. It's a very common idea. People walk into recovery. I just want to get rid of my addict self. I don't want that part of my life anymore. Right. Never seen anybody successfully pull that off. No. You know, the more you resist, the, the more the stronger it seems to get. You know. Well, no. The, 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 right. And, and this is not. This is certainly not unique to me. But it, I mean, I began my, my embracing fear book with the idea it was saying basically there's bad news and good news about fear. It's like the, the bad news is you can't get rid of it, even though you want to. And the good news is, and it's really good news, you don't have to. Right. You know, it's it's like we don't have to, you know, none of the three of us sitting here would claim that we're without our addiction. I mean, it's like it's like we could, you know, if I said, if, you know, we, we do this in our workshop, Alan, it's like if I were to say, where is your addiction sitting in relation to you, you know, just in space, in your space, your, your space I, I, mine's right over there. I guess, I, you know, I just immediately have an intuition about where he is. It's like it's a good thing. It's like, you know, it's just like. That's that's where it is. And what it reminds me too of is as as you've um something something that was way back in in one of my first book that, that you got you have convinced me is now an emotional sobriety book, is there's a little thing that says fight if you fight for yourself, you win. If you fight against others, you lose. And so that so that would be another response to what you're asking, uh, Patrick, is that is is because that's also that's interpersonally and intrapersonally. Does it feel like I'm fighting for myself? Because that's what recovery is. That recovery is fighting for ourselves, standing up for ourselves. Not and we're not doing it against anybody else. As a matter of fact, Alan, one of the things, main things I learned from you and get re repeatedly learned from you is I don't need the other person to change at all. I don't need them to understand. I don't need them to agree with me. I don't need them to like me even, you know, it's like, I need to, I need to be, I need to stand for myself. I need to represent myself. And that's, that's what we do. And in recovery, we represent ourselves very well. Yeah. And going off that, um, I thought I'd ask about the role of surrender because, you know, in your canoe metaphor, you know, you talk about uh, achieving emotional stability by becoming aware of our toxic beliefs and unenforceable rules. Um, the idea that we make our emotional balance dependent on external conditions. And then next is the surrender to that. And then there may be a postscript, but um, yeah, in terms of resolving that dissonance. Well, I think that there goes a long way is that that getting to surrender, right? You know, I heard it a great way to that that this was described in terms of how does a child start to realize 
that it's not all about me. And, and the developmental psychologist says by denying that there's an edge. So, <laughs> so Blake, Blake said it in another way. He says, if the, if, if the fool continues in his follies, he will become wise. So there's a point when we keep going down and it's paradoxical, right? It's all of the times I tried to not be powerless over my use of alcohol and other drugs <laughs> led me to accept my powerlessness. But by denying my powerlessness and trying to live, you know, a, a, a fantasy, right? Live in denial of that truth caused a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. That was denying that edge. That led me to getting to a place where I could see I did not want to accept that. And when I said I don't want to accept my powerlessness is when I started to accept it. That's the paradox here. See, and that's what we see all the time is when you own what you're doing, not when you try to be someone you're not. When I owned I'm emotionally dependent, I had a chance to become less emotionally dependent. When I said I don't want to face my emotional dependency, I was more able to face my emotional dependency. So it's right. this paradox that we keep coming back to. And there's, it's such a powerful, powerful recipe for change. It starts in step one, but it's mm-hmm. through, true throughout the working all the steps is we've been talking about on but, but and that, but the, you're right the the, the paradox is is front and center step 1 if you really don't like this idea of being powerless fully acknowledge and admit how that you're what you're powerless over it doesn't it doesn't say you're powerless over everything it doesn't say you're powerless over the world it, it, it which you are but, but in a lot of ways but it's like it's it it says what you're powerless over and of course what we talk about based on what we're talking about today is what we're powerless over is the interpersonal and the in the external world what we're not powerless over and this is the emotional sobriety as i understand it is 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 i'm not i'm never i'm never powerless over you know my response i always not only do i have a right to a response always i have a responsibility to respond there's never been a better time to learn in my uh time on earth to learn how to be a better canoeer because um (laughs) i just feel an absence really of uh natural support for my mental health, uh, everywhere. And so, uh, what a great time to be exploring these ideas. And, uh, well, that's, that's good to hear. And thank you, Tom, so much. You know, I was going to say that, you know, the one theme that stands out through this whole thing is nobody just jumps in a canoe and figures out how to do it without tipping it over and having a lot of trouble. And and mm-hmm. this is something that I love about what we talk about, Tom, because mm-hmm. we don't see trouble as meaning that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. We see in every bit of trouble that you have in your life is always an emerging opportunity. Opportunity, yeah. There's an emerging opportunity. And if you have the right relationship to the experience you're having, and you start to plug it into this context of emotional sobriety, you're going to see that you can use all your experience, whether you call it a good experience or a bad experience, to help you grow along these lines and to build a life. And that's what Bill called it, a life that works under any condition whatsoever. That's how he described emotional sobriety, a life that can work regardless of success or failure. 
regardless of health or illness, you know, regardless of, you know, sadness or, or, or joy. This is a life that can work no matter what. And that's the great thing about this. You see, when you get this, then life becomes less frightening. You're not worried about what's going to happen because you have a certain sense, and not that you know it all, but you have a confidence in your ability to meet whatever task life is going to set in front of you and learn either know how to cope with it. They were told that in the ninth step promise, we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. I mean, that happens with emotional sobriety. But if you don't, you know what to do now. You call yeah. Tom, you call Alan, yeah. you call your sponsor. Well, it's, it's well, it's confidence. It's confidence is based in competence. And it's like, you don't get to the competence without doing it. It's like, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's like, that's it's, it. it's like continuing your follies. And, you know, it's like, and, and that, that, of course that's when they become wise. It's like, well, you know, that's, that's, that's why we started off this talking about how wise we are because we're two guys who have, I think probably three guys, you know, I think we can include Patrick in this one who are, have, are, have been very masterful at continuing in our follies, you know, in spite of lots of information and, and, and lots of signs that said, turn back, you dumbass, you know, and, and we go like, oh, well, this must mean we should go forward and we keep going, but we're learning, you know, that's the thing that happens. It's like you do learn and you don't, uh, and, and yeah, and that addresses perfectionism because you get competent by just doing it, by flipping over the canoe, right? You flip it over and you learn from those mistakes. You learn from from dealing with those things. And that's where then you need to have an enlightened witness close to you to help yes. you figure this stuff out. I had, this and, reminds you know, me of a, gr- a group I had years ago uh, a, that, and they had a term they, they, they called it a fog. They say, I'm in a fog. And yeah. um, and it was it was it stood it's an acronym for another fucking opportunity to grow and so it was it was always fun when we had a new member of the group and they had they had not been initiated into knowing the language yet and somebody said i'm just in a fog and everybody else understood what we were talking about but it was you know but but that i love that 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 acronym because it not only says an opportunity to grow, it says it's another fucking opportunity to grow. And, and that be, that also normalizes, of course, we're upset with it. Of course, I don't like having to, you know, oh, oh, good. I get to go do this again. It's like, great. Well, I'll do it. But it's it's like, you know, and I could even go do it with some confidence that I can do that. I can get through it. But I don't, I don't like conflict or difficulties or, you know, doing that stuff any more than I ever did. It's just but I'm willing to do it. That's emotional sobriety as I've learned it from you. Willingness. Well, thanks for going through this book with me, you guys. And it's been, I appreciate your support. And, and you know, um, to those of you that are out there listening to it, I appreciate your support. You know, Tom and I couldn't do what we're doing without those of you out there supporting our work. So what's upcoming? In about a week, or probably exactly a week from when this airs, um, we are going to be talking to Dr. Sean Horn, um, who uh, deals with a lot of uh, topics of shame, which... I think integrate or dovetail nicely with the emotional sobriety project. We'll be bringing her on to chat. All right. Sounds good. Feel better, Alan. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories. 
back to me It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me